Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 34, recorded on December 19th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. What do you know? It's good to be connected with you once more. And I've been looking forward to this episode all week because you and I have been polishing our crystal balls. We're recording this a little bit ahead of time for the holidays. And I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you think is going to happen in Linux for the rest of the year. Okay, well, let me start with a very safe one as far as I'm concerned. I want to get at least one thing correct. <laughs> you stole this one from me. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. So my first prediction is that Ubuntu Unity 7 will become an official flavor in 2018. I don't think 1804. Really? I think that's too soon, but I think 1810, it will be official. Oh, official. So I think there will definitely be uh, an 1804 that you can install because they're already working on a daily ISO. I like this yeah, yeah. I like this benchmark, though, of like Canonical officially recognizes it as a flavor. And you're saying that's not till 1810? Yeah. I like that. Okay. So um, I think that's almost a, for, a foregone conclusion. So there's your safe bet. You ready for my yeah. safe bet for 2018? And it's not necessarily a positive one, but I think Linux servers and IoT devices that run Linux are going to see the largest increase in attacks, like the kind of attacks that you would uh, normally attribute it to IIS boxes and, and things that distribute worms and malware, like the Mirai botnet that we saw recently. And most of it's going to be caused by out-of-date or bad defaults. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? What, how are you going to quantify this? The key prediction that I'm going for here is a large increase in the percentage. So at the end of 2018, the conversation will be the new attack vector, the normal attack vector, is Linux. It won't be even new. At the end of 2018, what my prediction is, is that it's a foregone conclusion that all of these little IoT devices running kernel 2.2 and 2.4 and these web servers that are running agent versions of Apache were approaching peak negligence, I think. And I think 2018 is the year that bill will come due. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I think that's a pretty safe bet, along with the Unity 7 one. All right, what about you? You got anything a little more further out there? Well, a little bit further out there. Okay, so Microsoft Linux. Probably Azure Linux, to be fair, but a Linux distro from Microsoft. We've had a, a Linux distro that's kind of for network stuff, but I'm talking a full-blown, like Amazon Linux 2-style distro, for Azure made by Microsoft with a name like Microsoft Linux or Azure Linux. And it's going to have tight integration with the Windows 10 desktop and all the developer options. And you're going to be able to probably have really fast SSH access to it or something. But it's it's all about pushing Azure and it's all about taking control of that with a Microsoft distro. You could really see Microsoft integrating it further and deeper into Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio itself, where one-click button, you've spun up an Azure Linux instance, and you can keep it or discard it. You can try your code out on the public infrastructure with one click of a button. And they're getting really close there now. And their own version of Linux, in light of Amazon's continued investment in their own version of Linux, I think that is a safe bet. I think you may be in safe bet ter territory here where I would like to go a little fringy with this, if I could just ride on your coattails a bit, is wouldn't it be something if Microsoft took a stab at building a virtual desktop instance 
Never going to happen. But this is going to, throughout 2018, become an area of hosted Linux we don't talk a lot about now. But behind the scenes, I've heard from several listeners that their entire freaking company is running on virtual instances on Amazon's infrastructure. They don't even have a singular desktop PC in their office. Wait, are you talking sort of HTML5 console type stuff? I'm talking thin client hooked up to a monitoring keyboard that uses some sort of remote desktop protocol to remote into an Azure instance. Oh, right, and it, right. it, there's gonna, there obviously would, they would do that with Windows. But wouldn't it be fascinating if eventually they create like a developer workstation distribution? It's way out there, pie in the sky stuff. But I wouldn't be too surprised if you don't see something like that arrive on Amazon's infrastructure or a similar infrastructure soon. So you think that maybe eventually, probably not in 2018, but eventually Microsoft may build on this idea of a a Microsoft Linux and then possibly put the Windows shell on top of that? No, no. But I do think what will happen is in 2018 is other businesses will ship a hosted Linux desktop. And Microsoft will watch that and then respond competitively. Yeah, I suppose that sounds reasonable. But I, I still think it would be a very... Windows 10-like shell on top of it. Yeah, with probably some sort of horrible Cortana integration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're not going to ship some GTK thing, no. are they? No, I don't think so. All right, well, here's my kind of uh, other prediction that's a little bit further out there, but it seems to be, if you ask me, the, the general way that things are trending. And it's this gap that we're seeing slowly develop in 2017 that I think is going to blow wide open in 2018 between the idealist Linux user and the pragmatist Linux user. And so um, let's define some of these terms a little bit. Um, an idealist is somebody who's using Linux for moral reasons, ide- ideological reasons, um, you know, the license, uh, things like that nature. Whereas the pragmatist is somebody who is buying a pre-built Linux system to do web development work or to work on their network or whatever that use case might be. It's somebody who's buying a Linux system or building a Linux system to do work. So you're talking about the difference between someone who buys a Purism laptop with the idea of running core boot and completely free software versus someone who just buys something with a a really fancy NVIDIA card and loads Steam on it as soon as they get it. Yeah, your your, your ThinkPad purchasers out there, your Sputnik purchasers out there, your HP Spectre purchases out there, people that want a really functional work computer um, that are also a little more comfortable with using Slack. They're okay with using Telegram. These applications that aren't even necessarily 100% native on Linux, maybe they're Electron-based, they're okay with it because it lets them get their job done at work. You know, your system to users out there. This gap between your idealist and your pragmatist is, I think, going to be clearly defined as more and more people are buying these pre-built systems and more and more people are coming over to Linux to do their day-to-day work. I think you're going to have a wider and wider gap between the people that are using Linux to get their job done and maybe have a couple of proprietary blobs on there and people who are using Linux because they see it as a way to preserve the intellectual property of humanity. (laughs) But don't you have that gap already? I I don't see how this is a prediction, really. We've got this situation already. The prediction comes in where this pragmatist uh, portion of the Linux base begins to really explode in growth, where all the proper channels are there. You have have System76 with their 
hardware lineup and their Pop! OS system designed at a certain segment of users. You've got Entraware that's d- delivering to another segment of users, and you've got Dell that's delivering to another clear segment of users, and all of these channels are established now. Canonical is moving Ubuntu over to the GNOME desktop. We're consolidating around these particular ideas and standards. It's becoming the workhorse desktop operating system that a lot of us have wanted for a long time. The groundwork's done now. We're, 2017 was the year we did all of that work, but 2018 is going to be the year that we reap the benefits of all of that investment, where we have a bunch of more people that are switching over. They tried the Windows 10 setup. They're sick and tired of the Mac. I'm not saying it's going to be tens and tens of millions of people, but it is going to be the largest new infusion of Linux users the Linux desktop has ever seen in 2018. And that's going to cause all of these flare-ups to become way more weaponized because the people on the idealist side are going to feel the walls closing in on them. Their situation's getting tighter and tighter and their struggle will become more and more palatable to save the ideal Linux. Well, I can't really argue with any of that, but if you read between the lines of what you've just said there and kind of filter it down, what you've said is 2018 is going to be the year of Linux on the desktop. I actually think it's more pessimistic than that. I think 2018 is going to be the (laughs) biggest years of wars we have ever seen in the Linux community, the largest division and decisiveness we've seen, because you're going to have people that really believe in a cause, and they feel like it's starting to slip. And you're going to have people that don't give a crap about their concerns and just want to get their damn job done. And this butting of heads is going to be the biggest we've ever seen. And I think people that aren't really in tune of what's going on in the larger picture here are going to report on this in a way that makes it sound like the Linux community is ripping itself apart. That, I think, will be a narrative that emerges throughout 2018. Well, I hope you're wrong, and I hope that what I said about it being the year of Linux on the desktop. That is the positive angle of it. What you've touched on is the, this is the reaction to that action. I see what you're saying. So it it is going to be a a massive year for Linux on the desktop, but you're going to have this pushback from the real free software people. It basically comes back to the old argument, doesn't it, between free software and open source? If I was going to boil this prediction down to a singular sentence, if I could, maybe a paragraph, it's this. 2017 was a year of big transition for Linux, from idealist to pragmatist operating system. 2018 is the year that the community deals with the new reality that the scales have tipped, it's now a pragmatist workstation OS and less of an idealist OS. Yeah, again, I think that you're right. And I think that you're right that there's going to be a lot of people left behind by that shift to pragmatism because a lot of people are real idealists. But as new blood comes into the Linux community, they're going to care less and less about the, the idealism, the free software stuff, the FSF approach to it all and just want to get their work done, and you are going to get the blowback from that. So, yeah, I think that's a reasonable prediction. But we could not do a predictions episode without talking about Bitcoin. Let's not talk too much about it, but let's just put some numbers on this. So what I want from you and what I'm going to give you is the 2018 high in terms of price, dollar value, 2018 low, and then the price on the 1st of December 2018. So let's start with the high. How high do you think it's going to go this coming year? Well, in 2017, we nearly got so far to $20,000 for one Bitcoin, 20,000 green US backs. Here's the problem with predicting Bitcoin is it's hard to model this because depending on who you believe, up to 40% of the Bitcoins in existence are held by a very small minority of the Bitcoin market. And these whales 
are very capable of manipulating the entire market up or down depending on their whims. So this is not a very easy thing to predict, but there is a there is a thought process I've been using recently with Bitcoin. Most bad news ends up raising the price even if it causes a temporary decrease in price. And if these crazy internet people thought that Bitcoin was worth $10, $25, $100, $1,000, $10,000, and currently they think it's worth $17,000. If it's worth $17,000, it might be worth $20,000. And if it's worth twenty, dollars it might be worth thirty. dollars So I'm going to say that the high for 2018 is $100,000. Oh, that's close to what I was going to say. So I'm going to say the high, for more or less the same reasons as you, I think the high is going to reach 120,000 in 2018. So we'll get back to the price on the 1st of December, which is, I suppose, the kind of, we have to pick an arbitrary date because it's so volatile that, you know, that I, I just picked December 1st. So the low. So at the moment, uh, you said 17. I was looking today, it was kind of 18 ish. I've seen it up very nearly to 20. It didn't quite crack it. So what do you think the low price is going to be in 2018? We could not have picked a worse time in Bitcoin's entire history to make this prediction because this week and the week prior and the week prior to that, different huge Wall Street institutions are coming online and selling Bitcoin futures and creating markets around Bitcoin, which may lead to a price floor that is higher than you and I think. Because you have these huge markets that are building around Bitcoin right now. And these people that own the majority of Bitcoin are not going to screw this opportunity up. They will hold. So I'm going to make the bold prediction that the floor for Bitcoin in 2018, it will never go below $10,000 a coin. I think higher than that. I don't think it's going to drop below fifteen in 2018. Wow. The, the only problem here with this prediction, of course, is that some technical flaw could be discovered mm. or some major quantum computing re- revolution could come all of a sudden. Doubtful, but it could change the way we compute crypto. So it's hard, but I, I feel the fundamentals of a blockchain, a distributed trust system, and a peer-to-peer currency are established. And those core ideas aren't going away. And the most market successful cryptocurrency that represents those ideas is Bitcoin. Just you wait. This time next year, it's going to be worth $100. <laughs> We're going to look so bad. Um, all right, so the price towards the end of the year then, December 1st, 2018. I know that's difficult because it depends on what time, but like roughly what kind of price do you think we'd be looking at then? Hmm, well, I think it's going to be the higher end of the spectrum. I think it's going to be somewhere near the $100,000 range if things are successful. It feels like with Bitcoin, it's either going to go all the way or it's going to become worth nothing. As more and more people discover Bitcoin, the scarcity problem just goes up. And when the scarcity problem goes up, the value goes up. <laughs> so it's this, it's this sort of bubble effect where as the mainstream world, CNBC here in the States is talking about it on a daily basis now, like I just mentioned, the Wall Street businesses that are doing day trading in Bitcoin, as mainstream adoption and knowledge comes up and people start realizing you don't have to buy a Bitcoin you can do you could buy ten dollars of Bitcoin. You can do fractional investing. And when that really takes off in the mainstream, oh boy, Joe, I just I feel like what we're seeing today has been um, child's play. 
it's really just about to get interesting. So this is the worst time ever, but I'm going to say it's if it's successful, it's going to be over $100,000 this time in December. If it if something is discovered and it's bankrupt, of course it's going to it's going to just bottom out. It's going to be one or the other, I think. Well, I want a number. 1st of December 2018, what's the price? $107,000. Okay, I'm going to go for $100,000. Are we going prices right rules, uh, not a penny over? Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should. Not a, not a penny over whoever gets closer. And to be fair, I'm not really like narrow. I'm not going to like, uh, I'm not going to say I picked this number after tons of research. It's sort of an arbitrary number I chose. But could you imagine? Could you imagine the level of conversation, how much Bitcoin is going to dominate the news if that is the case, it's going to be one of the primary things people talk about. And you and I are going to have to go out of our way to avoid dominating the show with Bitcoin. Because think about it. If it gets to, to $100,000, dude, it's going to be the only thing people talk about. Yeah, but don't worry. It'll be worth $100 and uh, we'll just be talking about Fedora and Ubuntu. <laughs> Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You go there, you sign up for a free seven-day trial to the Linux Academy platform, and you support this here show. It's a full-featured training library with everything you need to learn new skills and advance your career. With self-paced in-depth video courses on every freaking Linux, cloud, and DevOps topic. And it's consistently getting updated. So there's new value being added to your Linux Academy subscription all the time. And there's stuff you've never really even considered taking courseware on, and then you sit down and you go through the process. And even if you're an old salt, you go, wow, how did I not know that? How did I not know you could do that little thing? So there's tiny little bits of value in there all the time, but the big stuff comes from like the hands-on labs or the learning paths if you want to get somewhere in your career or taking practice exams and getting ready for certification tests and the flashcards, which are study guides that are forked by the Linux Academy community like an open source project. And they have a very vibrant community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, lots of comprehensive study guides and lesson audio you can download and take with you. There's so much to learn at Linux Academy. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, sign up for a free seven-day trial, and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring Linux Action News, and thank you to all of you out there for visiting linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Okay, so we've talked about what we think is going to happen. Now let's talk about things that we want to happen. And I'll start with, I want to see a major cryptocurrency that uses far less energy than Bitcoin. Now, I know that you've been very skeptical about these claims of it using as much power as nations, and it's going to be using more power in a few years than the whole world combined. But you cannot deny that it uses a lot of energy. And I would love to see a cryptocurrency come along that uses way less energy. Maybe it's a proof of space. Maybe it's something that no one's even thought of yet that comes along and is mainstream. I talked about last week how Bitcoin is the name, you know, it's the Coca-Cola. I think it's going to maintain that position, but you're going to have a lot of other cryptocurrencies come along and it would be good to see one that was maybe as popular as Ethereum, but uses a fraction of the energy of any of the coins that we know about now. I do think the problem's a bit overblown, to be honest, because there's so many options. You don't have to mine cryptocurrency in one place. You could move it to where energy options are cheaper, where when you're mining coal and oil, you have to go to where the natural resources are. So I think it's a bit of an overblown problem, but that said, the solution's already here in several altcoins. Like you mentioned, proof of storage concepts that have a way less compute overhead. As long as the Bitcoin network has to be verified and you have to solve these large math problems, you're going to need a lot of compute. But 
that's all ephemeral. It can be moved around. I wouldn't worry just yet about that problem, Bitcoin energy use, because I feel like the technology is out there to solve it. And I wouldn't be too surprised, Joe, if one of these altcoins does manage to sort of build its brand around the eco-friendly currency, the currency that doesn't kill the earth. And you may end up seeing this sort of wish play out simply because of market dynamics. Well, hopefully, that's what I want to see. I want to see less energy use generally because that's got to be a good thing. But okay, what's your first thing that you want to happen? It's all about the electron, I think. And it's not because I want to see Electron just take over the Linux desktop. It's just the realist in me, having just reached this understanding after about a year of fighting it, understands that it's going to be Electron that brings major applications to the Linux desktop. So I would like to see an Adobe or a Microsoft launch one of those big missing Linux desktop apps. I asked on Twitter a couple of days ago, what, what is missing on the Linux desktop? And so many of the answers were some of the Adobe CS applications or this AutoCAD application. Yeah, the huge proprietary things, Avid, Pro Tools, that sort of thing. I, I wonder if Electron is up to the task for those really in-depth applications like Avid that needs hardware acceleration and stuff. I, I suppose that's a technical challenge that can be overcome. And I personally have no problem with Electron if, if the application works, I don't care whether it's properly native or Electron. All I care is, does it run? Does it crash? Is it going to do the job I need it to do? I've been wondering that too. Like if Adobe released Adobe Premiere for Linux and they wrote it in Electron, and let's just say for a moment it, it would just worked great. It used a ton of RAM and stuff, but it just worked great. That would that would fundamentally change my life. That would I would immediately stop using Final Cut for anything I've ever done, and I would switch completely over to that on the Linux desktop. It would change my life. So that's why I put this on the list. And I do wonder if it's maybe too soon, because there's things out there like WebAssembly that could bring real native performance to web applications and Electron applications that we may just have to wait around for. But I feel it in my bones. I feel like Microsoft or Adobe or somebody is about to drop a major application on Linux, and I'm betting it's Electron. You're a dreamer, Chris. That's all I can say. I can't see it happening, but thankfully this isn't predictions. That I, I wouldn't mind that happening. I'm more of a free software um, idealist rather than pragmatist, but then I do have a pragmatic streak as well. I'm a bit of a fence sitter on this one, and... I think that overall, it probably would be good for Linux and open source and free software if we had these huge proprietary applications available on our platform. I'm not saying I would necessarily be interested in using them, right. but I think it would draw more people over to us, and that has got to be a good thing. That's how I see it. It gives more options available to people that want to move over to the desktop. It moves more workflows over to Linux, which is a tide that does rise all boats. But maybe there's hope for like the core architecture, hey, Joe? Yeah, so... I want to see consumer RISC-V boards available. I'm not expecting laptops. I'm not expecting complicated, high-power machines, but something that reminds you of a Raspberry Pi that is consumer price point around $35, maybe maybe $50, that's based on the RISC-V architecture that's totally free and open. And then, obviously, you need the software to run on that. Again, I'm not expecting... Plasma 5 to run on it, but some command line stuff, maybe Apache, Nginx, and, and other command line applications. But it would be good if we could have this in the hands of hackers, because at the moment, there are some RISC-V boards available 
for manufacturers, but they're very expensive. And so I would like to see in 2018 that price come down to a point where makers, tinkerers, hackers can get hold of these boards and and push this architecture forward and get towards a point where we can have a, a nice high-powered laptop that's running a RISC-V processor. That's way in the future, but we need another step. And this is the step that I want to see in 2018. Ah, so it's like baby steps, because really where you're going is eventually an x86 platform killer or replacement for you. That's the dream, but that is so far off at this point that I think that we just have to be realistic and something to compete with the Raspberry Pi is a realistic goal. Yeah, I like that. I don't think I have much more to add to it. I think that's exactly what I'd like to see. I'll, I'll go on the software side here for a moment then if I can and talk about Pipewire. I've followed this pretty closely in Linux Unplugged throughout 2017. And now if I could just wave a magic wand in 2018, I would love to see Pipewire quickly continue to improve and become a competent video and audio pipeline on Linux, perhaps even begin to replace Pulse Audio. And on top of that, we're seeing the very early works in GNOME right now, but I'd like to see a few desktop environments leverage Pipewire for remote desktop access on Wayland, because we don't have a team viewer or VNC-style solution for remote access on Wayland, and Pipewire may offer the most universal approach across distros and across desktop environments if everybody just has a big kumbaya circle and goes all in. So I have big hopes for Pipewire in 2018. Let me read between the lines again. What you're saying is you want to be able to sit in Lady Dupes and remote into the machines in the studio and work anywhere in the US. <laughs> I suppose there may be an element of that. I also would like to be able to just launch Skype, the new version of Skype, and not have it completely destroy my audio subsystem. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But I think that no matter what we do, Microsoft are just going to find a way to break audio on Linux with Skype. <laughs> hey, you know, as long as we get somewhere, either it's the audio video pipeline or the remote desktop on Wayland, I'm going to consider it a success. Yeah. Okay. Well, something that's been a huge topic at the end of 2017 is the Intel management engine. And so what I would love to see is an x86 chipset from either Intel or AMD with less of a proprietary layer or dare we dream no proprietary layer or at least a kill switch that is what i would love to see so that we can have a completely free software laptop that's running an x86 processor that we can get some serious performance because the likes of risk 5 it's it's a, a very long way off getting serious performance from it but I just hate that there's this proprietary thing. I'm staring at a laptop now that's running code that I have no idea and no one who I know and respect has access to that code and can tell me whether it's running anything nefarious. I just have to trust Intel and I don't want to do that. If you had to bet a singular Bitcoin on either Intel or AMD doing this, I mean, come on, you'd bet it's AMD. Yeah. Because AMD has the PSP, but they're not like as well entrenched into it as Intel is with the management engine. Wouldn't you bet that Bitcoin on AMD going PSP free? Yeah. And I think that AMD are more of an agile company. I think there's, there's less of a inertia there. I think for them to pivot to something like this is, is more likely from AMD. I, I don't know why. That's just a feeling that I have that... They, they're just willing to take more risks, maybe, because they've got less to lose because they're the underdog. That's how I feel, too. And there is a real possibility that 2018 could be a kick-ass, 
year for AMD and Linux because you have that Intel NUC that Wimpy and I have been waxing on about that's going to have an Intel CPU with an AMD dedicated GPU all integrated in. AMD has been talking for years about properly open sourcing their GPU driver with lots of work being done on that. So you have this new NUC, you have this new open source driver initiative of theirs combined with the possibility that they would be the most likely company to drop the management engine, or in their case, the PSP, this could be a real recipe for a nice Linux workstation. I agree, but I think that they have to put it in a laptop to make it really commercially viable, which wouldn't be that hard because those NUC-type devices are basically mobile devices anyway, and with some cooling modifications and stuff, I think you could put that into a laptop. And if they did that, I think that that would sell incredibly well among the Linux community with developers and users alike who just want a decent machine. Yeah, I completely agree. So my last thing is on the software side. So if the hardware folks can kind of get their stuff figured out, I would really love to wave my wand and have this be a year of spit and polish on the Linux desktop. I guess I would just love to see the different distributions compete on their fit and finish, on the polish of their desktop environment. And it feels like we're closer there than ever because with... App Image and Snaps and Flat Packs, you can have that stable, solid desktop that you just polish away at iteratively while you can deliver fresh user applications through these different methods. Well, I think we've seen this in 2017, haven't we? I know there's been a lot of disruption with Ubuntu, but if you look at something like Fedora, the releases they've had this year have been iterative and polish, and there's been no amazing changes but it's just been very slow and steady improvements and so i think that what you're hoping for is kind of already happening it's not quite there it's like the baby version of it we're so 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 close but it's it's not where and please forgive me for saying this but i just recently upgraded my final cut os computer and you know i have all this stupid mac crap installed on this final cut os it's all custom configured because it's all got to be tied together and stuff and i thought all right i'll do this new high sierra hello sierra i'm going to install hello sierra and i hit the upgrade button and i thought this is going to go horrible and when it rebooted after it was all said and done i i i had no idea the i i couldn't tell i wasn't sure if it was successful or not because nothing changed. I got and then I went and then I went to the to about Final Cut OS and I saw that I had the new version of Final Cut OS and I thought, okay, good, it, it was successful. That's great. But nothing else changed. Like when I reopened my applications, they opened up in the same spot on my window where I had closed them before I did my OS upgrade. We're not there. I don't know if we're gonna get there in 2018, but what I would love to see is the ability to do a complete distribution upgrade. Say, if go from Fedora 25 to 26, or go from 1710 to 1804, with applications like Chrome and Spotify and Telegram that are installed via flat packs and snaps, and nothing changes with them. I do a complete distribution upgrade, I log back in, Nothing's changed. I just have up-to-date software that's secure, slightly better, less bugs, hopefully. But my Chrome, my Firefox, my Spotify, everything works exactly as it was before I did the update. Well, that's the dream of uh, 2018 being the year of Linux on the desktop, isn't it? It's the pragmatist workstation, the people that just want to get their job done. Well, Joe, if we're right or wrong, we'll report it to the people. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe to check in every single week to see how wrong we were. Yeah, and go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact to tell us how wrong we were. 
And please consider supporting the whole network because after we've been this wrong, nobody else will at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. I'm sure we'll be right about some things. So we'll be back next Monday uh, with our usual weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris Elias. I'm at Joe Ressington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Happy New Year. See you later. Bye.